All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? Doing really well, Jeff. I had a, you know, I had a small win this past week. We talk about leaders being able to um, communicate and listen to the people in their community. And so on the uh, school board, there was this just attendance zone change. Uh, as the staff would, would have put it, it was very run-of-the-mill, you know, only less than 10% of students, but parents were were upset about these changes. And so I got a chance to go to the, like, a listening session, um, hear what people thought about it, and then I was able to to communicate with my uh, colleagues on the board, and we decided to just sort of not do the, go through this plan at all, just to listen to what people said and then uh, communicate with the community about how the process worked and then with my colleagues. So it was was good to to um to kind of you know I mean not that I've not done that, done that before but I really like as you go through that think about what we teach and the, the fact that like it really is important for our legislators to listen and to get as many facts as possible and then to communicate back and sort of you know to communicate to the people that are upset and it's like that you know it's nothing personal this is this is kind of a process that goes forward and we kind of deal with it and then uh, this is the, the steps we can take to fix it and I think like you know we. We'd all benefit from a little bit more like that, but how about, how about you? Um, you know, it's been a short week because we, we we're doing double duty this week. Um, it's been it's been pretty good. I read a couple books. Um, I read a, a book on John Bingham, who uh, wrote is the the architect architect really of the Fourteenth Amendment, and uh, I read another book on Polk. You know how much I love to study the antebellum period. And then the Gilded Age. Now I'm hitting the Reconstruction period as well. Um, so it's been pretty good. Um, I'm super excited to be able to have an additional guest. And I just want to share with the audience, looking forward to next week. John, did you hear who we booked on the show next week? Jeff, who did we book? People are going to be excited about this one. We booked HW Brands to be on the show. I cannot wait to talk to hw brand i have like i'm gonna i'm gonna rearrange all these books so i have all of his books out and i'm just gonna i just want to ask him questions about history for like an hour straight just be like what do you think about this <laughs> it'd be good i can't wait but probably I mean, he might be my favorite historian slash biographer i just love reading his books it's it's awesome and i know your brother is a fan of of his books as well because he's read he's read he's borrowed at least two of mine <laughs> i don't know if i read his books but i read the article you you talked about and um i really appreciate the fact that he talks about sort of narrative history and i think oh. i've read i've read analytical history books and it's really dry and then you read a good narrative history book and you're like i get these people um so I, it'll be good but yeah, uh, before I, we get, to, you know, we're putting the horse apart. Who do we have? Uh, who's our guest today? So our guest today uh, is going to be Thomas Howes, the editor in chief of the Vital Center. Um, we had Tyler on the show earlier this week. Um, Tyler was the founder, and now Thomas is kind of uh, taken over as the editor. And uh, as we kind of talked about already, we're big fans. You know, we love to to read uh, thoughtful, thought provoking articles on real issues or real problems that we're facing today and we're just glad that there's a group of people working in the intellectual circle to like bring people to the center bring people to the to compromise bring people to debate as opposed to whatever we have going on today 
All right, John, we're back with a special episode this week. We have another guest, um, Thomas Howes, Editor-in-Chief at The Vital Center. Thomas, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So uh, we had Tyler on the show just earlier this week. Uh, we're big fans of the project you got going on there. Um, I just wanted to you know, invite as many of you guys on the show to, to get people talking about the magazine. And um, as John and I always talk about, politics and parenting are very similar. So just mm -hmm. curious, like, what's your background? Uh, do you have kids? Are you married? What are you, what are you working on outside of the Vital Center? Well, I'm mar married to my wife here in uh, New Jersey, and uh, we have two daughters, nine and three. And um, yeah, no, parenting is probably being a dad and husband are probably my favorite things. So, <laughs> Do you find it difficult to balance, you know, being an intellectual in the world as far as like thinking about like how the world should be and then also going down to like the ground level of parenting of like shaping the and molding the very young minds? Um. I mean, there's always a time conflict, and, but, but um, I, f I feel like we have a pretty good balance right now between my wife and I on how we handle that. Uh, one, I guess one issue I have is winding down when I get done with work. Um, my brain, uh, it moves fast when I'm thinking about philosophy and all these issues, um, the things I'm teaching or researching. Uh, so keeping my, the most important thing for me and that I struggle with is uh, putting the phone away and and uh, just being present for my kids when I get home, um, because I want my mind wants to keep keep doing active things. I I think yeah I've got I that problem too. Like my wife has to my wife has to you know ask me what I'm doing to remind me that I should be paying attention to the family and, and uh, that's right. So <laughs> I know exactly what that's like. Yeah, I I should just so hand Thomas, my phone to my wife when I get home. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Thomas, you wrote an article in the most recent episode, or not episode, I guess, publication called um, Catholic Scholasticism at the Threshold of Constitutionalism. Yep. And um, it's, it's a it's a great read. Um, so I uh, I definitely appreciate it because I, I I tend to go in those rad trad circles. I don't wouldn't consider myself a rad trad per se, mm -hmm. which is the radical traditionalist. Um, but, I, you know, I know a lot of people and I, you know. I appreciate what the Catholic Church teaches, and I try to stay faithful to it. But um, mm -hmm. you know, I, for me, and being in politics, it's it's. I think so much there is so much that like Catholicism has introduced, um, and you you basically talk about this uh, one particular person to get the name right as we go. It's um, is it Suarez, mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm just kind of he's in the 17th century. Uh, I'm reminded yeah. of like Thomas More, who's another great Catholic statesman who actually was key to getting um, parliament to allow, uh, or guess, get parliament to be free to debate anything without the king um, being able to come after them for what they say. Like, so like there's a tradition of, of Catholic scholars and statesmen actually like accentuating modernity per se, rather than, uh, you know, modernity being this sort of, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, how would you put it? Like the, how people view modernity nowadays? Well, it depends, but as far as, uh, traditional Catholics, they tend to have a pretty negative view of of modern modernity as far as modern politics is concerned, or that they, they have recently, the last few years, or at least of the younger ones. And I'm not talking about conservative Catholics, but like the really traditionalist ones. 
tend have had that tendency in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, do you think like um, social media kind of drives that? Because I know like it's like I'll <clears throat> I I found like once Pope Francis became Pope, like he went from Benedict to Pope Francis, and there was there's some people view it as a big shift, and I think um, yeah, at a small yeah, you can see that. But I mean, like they're both they seem to be pretty faithful Catholics, so I wouldn't say it's too radical. But I, I think like it's easy to kind of like say like well everything that that this sort of modernism that that pope francis is bringing is bad because it's it's not there and so we got to get rid of it and i've heard like there's a tooth two swords theory or something like there's a lot of like interesting yeah. things you can find on do you think like social media kind of accentuates that that kind I, of dividing i think so i think so because if everybody finds their own community and that becomes less um that becomes less um People have become more comfortable in that community, <laughs> where in the where they're isolated from other intellectual communities, and they're what they're talking about. Um, I've noticed um, people within their communities feel less incentive to persuade people anymore. Um, that they're not, mm -hmm. and I think that's bad for the for the communities themselves because when you're trying to persuade people, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to listen to other people, and you have to grant them points you know say hey that was actually a pretty good point I, I can see why you you know why you say that and then you, you have, it makes you fine tune your own position right um but i've seen a lot of these like isolated communities online is that um they've they've kind of abandoned that and it's just about um maintaining the ideological purity within their within their tribes um and it, the one reason that I spend so much time uh, with these, like with this article, where as I, I emphasized in the beginning, that it was a story I wanted young Catholics to know about how complex the real relationship is between the scholastic, um, the scholastics like Suarez, and um, the modern politics, is um, to sort of push back against some of these narratives that like everything modern is bad, right? That they that I feel like a lot of young Catholics are falling into that trap. And, and I'm a Catholic, so I want, and I, I try to be Orthodox myself. I, you know, I think of myself as Orthodox. Um, I've, I've, I'm actually pretty confident I am Orthodox. So even though I'm not, my positions on politics aren't popular these days, um, I'm confident they're within the realm of the free debate within the church, within our, you know, I'm never gonna be censored for them, right? <laughs> um, and, um, but um, so it does matter to me. I, I would like it. Um, I I would like the um, to be to to I would like um, the church to prosper, and persuade people, and um, and I think um, obsession with um, ruling over people with radical politics. I think it's 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 not it's going to hurt that, and it's also going. I don't think it's necessarily good on the souls of people who are promoting it. I don't. I don't expect they're going to be in power anytime soon. So, you. No, um, I, I completely agree with that. Like, I, I see like the there's like kind of a both sidesism, perhaps you could say, but uh, both sides are definitely in this like ideological purity. How well can you adhere to the truth? Uh, I mean, like, I, I feel like Jeff and I when we ran for Congress, like, was very much like, are you going to say the right talking points? Otherwise, we're just going to exclude you, or you know, you're not um, you're not good enough for us. So there is definitely a lack of of kind of debate and, and attempt to actually like uh, you know persuade people i'd say and that, not in the sense of like having to um you know say like well okay i'll grant you that you know 
granting points is sort of is sort of saying like what's the common ground between us and there's definitely not enough yeah. of that like not enough of saying you and i agree on this um, mm-hmm. i think people seem, tend to say well as you're just capitulating and you're giving in and like you said like you're you're diluting the the ideological purity of the group and it, it's um it's very toxic for sure yeah 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 that's that, that's my experience so you you mentioned kind of social media as and or, and John asked you about it uh, social media kind of helping with the isolation. Um, in your article, you you go through kind of like the constitutional framework that we have, the checks and balances, and mm-hmm. how it kind of weaves in with uh, with uh, the Catholic re- religion and and Suarez. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I what I would say like looking at it from from my perspective, and you know recently like kind of reading a lot of history it, it kind of seems like maybe maybe social media is a uh a result of other things you know mm-hmm. it, it I, I feel like you know because we're talking about like a lack of debate which leads to isolation so when people don't feel like they're being heard they're going to seek out places where they can be heard and then they kind of they're they're going to lose their energy of fighting with everybody and they're just going to give up yeah. um yeah. and i I see it more as like a our structure of checks and balances has been, you know, morphed and you know a lot of the power is shifted out of Congress to the executive and to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And while we may sometimes get what we want, power keeps on getting shifted and it keeps on making yeah. it difficult for the next generation to like have a say. So I mean, do you do you kind of see that in your studies as well with maybe oh, you yeah. know cuz it like I tell people Parents shape the child, and government kind of shapes the people, even though the people are supposed to shape the government. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I hear you. I think, I mean, I think there are some. Obviously, I, I'm very, you know, pro. I'm patriotic, and I'm very proud of our country, and I think we live in a great country. Um, but every era has its own problems, and we have our own problems. And um, I think some of those problems we're seeing up here with um, polarization um people feeling like they can't like you said they can't speak their opinion they can't share their opinions in public um because there's a, such a restrictive public orthodoxy at least in some contexts like academia or um you know in, in the public square um with the popular media mainstream media and all that and um and that probably leads them to these isolated communities like you're saying and then um the polarization, political polarization, only made that worse, and some of that's structural, like you said, you're implying, um, uh, moving things away from, uh, you know, things that were legitimately matters of the legislature, moving them to the courts, um, created this um, uh, this war for the courts, so the courts have been politicized. Um, I don't know where you guys stand on this, but I'm I'm a big supporter of reforming our, our party system or like our primary system because mm-hmm. um, I think it right now it favors the bases of the parties to to establish the candidates um, and I think a stronger party that was trying to win elections would give us probably more moderate candidates but you know um, and, and the, the reason I say moderate candidates would be better is is because of the I'm concerned with the issue of polarization um, a more moderate candidate tends to want to look for big consensus, um, tends to want to win over the other side. Um, they tend to want to um, focus on the areas that they can get, yeah, like the, those areas they can get more agreement on. Um, 
and um, not scare the other side and, and actually run for office to represent both sides. Because, you know, a good politician should be trying to represent not their party, but their constituents. And um, we don't see that much at all. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. Um, it's been it's been at least 20 years since we've seen presidents act that way, you know, or like other politicians act that way, that they represent not just their party. Yeah, I, I actually this week I I'm working on what I call Article five, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I've got I I've written down and I was going to bring this up later, but I've got like four or five hypothetical constitutional amendments that we should consider. And one of them I call a right of party where we mm -hmm. institute a uh, a party system in into the constitution mm. um we, and the the objective that i i'd like to complete with that is to establish a layered party system that's similar to the way that we layer our government so that you would have okay. federal federal and state parties that way yeah. your state and your fed wouldn't be working together to to get power because that kind of muddies the water between the checks and balances and mm -hmm. then you would have executive and house parties now mm. In my theoretical way, theoretical government here, we've repealed the Seventeenth Amendment, and the states are back to the uh, appoint uh, being appointed by the state legislatures. And oh, so yeah. you would only have election of of by the people for the president, and then your house. Um, yeah. And then what I would do is I would set a limit of three parties for the house, so you always have to have at least there's there's always a space for three parties on the ballot. Okay. Mm. And then mm -hmm. you would set a max of three parties for the executive, meaning mm. there there always needs to be three parties running, and which would be filled because rich people want power. And so mm -hmm. if you have a spot for them to get on the debate stage, they mm -hmm. will somebody will take it. Um, mm. And so what that does is it encourages more voices in the pot at the uh, executive level. And then I think what it would do is it would make it easier for, you know, for People like John and I, who aren't part of the, you know, um, the inside crew inside of our district to mm -hmm. have an opportunity to actually run and talk about real issues, to actually get in front of voters. Because right now you're kind of at the mercy of the party. And as we talked about with Tyler on uh, Sunday, the parties kind of keep you out. It, ballot access is difficult. Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, that that's all really interesting. That's all new to me. Those are new reforms and it sounds like you put a lot of thought into it. Um, actually, if you were interested, <laughs> you should write an article for us on that. I don't know. If, uh, that'd be good because then you could share share those ideas and then give, and give me a chance to think about them more and give other people a chance to think about them. I will I will send it your way when I get it written. <laughs> OK, sounds good. <laughs> but yeah. so like so that we, need more, we need more creative uh... thinking like that. So. <laughs> Going back to your article, that you're, we're kind of talking about the consent of the governed, and I think mm -hmm. like the problem with the party system is a lot of people feel like they don't have a voice. Like you often hear like, "Oh, my vote doesn't count," and then you, yeah. of course, the party, you know, all the parties are like, "Oh, your, your vote always counts." Like everyone should vote. Um, but but it goes back to this like Suarez has this idea of the the government comes from the consent of the people governed, and even That's if right. it's you know like you talk about like a tyrant can take power, and people mm -hmm. can accept that like. The tyrant has power because the people implicitly accept that the tyrant is in power. Now they could rise up because it's it's eventually bad, but but living under a tyranny is sort of it is a consent to the governed, which I think not enough people recognize. Like 
um, you know, you've got a problem with your local school board or something like, you know, you, you technically put the school board in power one way or another. And they, like you said, like a representative should represent the people, not necessarily the power or the ideas. And like, like, I think that's something that's missing too. That I, that's what I appreciate from your article. Like you're, you're bringing that to light. Like people need to remember that, um, that they do have a voice, you know, and, and there is that sort of implicit, um, consent that gets to anything. And like, that's, it's something that someone mentioned about like laws in general, like a bad law, you know, doesn't, isn't really, a, and I think this actually, this is a Catholic society, like a bad law technically isn't a law because mm-hmm. people don't follow it. And so then, um, I, I don't know if that's Aquinas or, or something, but um, yeah. I just kind of, yeah, like, I know that's, yeah, I've heard it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's a lot of debate on what, but yeah, it certainly isn't law in the full sense of the term, a sense of ordinance of reason, if it's unreasonable, right? So that, um, Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes you maybe should follow it for prudential reasons, but it doesn't have the same force as a as a, a, a law that's really an ordinance of reason that's somehow reasonable and in some way reasonable. Yeah, and 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 those scholastics also uh, just to bring it other side, uh, the uh, the legitimately um, authorized leader who becomes a tyrant. Um, they have a right of resistance too. So if it gets so bad, then you can resist, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, that thankfully, and con- thankfully to this point, uh, modern constitutionalism has helped us uh, handle that in a more peaceful way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think right. that's- Yeah, that's you can one put of this the- in the ballot box. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's one of the best things about our constitution is it it does allow for us to kind of fight with our words as opposed to our, you know, hands, yeah fists you know guns whatever um and i think that's kind of nuclear weapons (laughs) yeah Yeah. weapons exactly well i mean but that is where we we're drifting apart from that because the whole system is designed for us to fight with our words and in order for us to fight with our words we need to have a place where we can debate each other and we need it large enough yeah Mm -hmm. john knows what i'm talking about (laughs) where uh, you know, enough of the citizenry is part of it. Um, yeah. And so I, I, you might not know, but John and I are big proponents of uncapping the House and expanding the House of Representatives. And that's yeah. part of having more debate. You know, like I, I tell people I ran for Congress in District 10, but I know even as qualified as I think that I am for the job, I can't represent 756,000 people. I'm one person. There's just, yeah. there's no way that I can do it effectively. I can do better than I think the people that are there, but I still don't think I can do it well, which is why I, you know, I think that we should expand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, you wrote an article for our website on that, and I thought that was very persuasive. Um, yeah, it's, they kind of dropped the ball with that, haven't they? <laughs> Well, uh, Jay Koss just wrote an article this week uh, in the Dispatch about it as well, and oh, yeah. it, and he points out that the the one group that you never hear talk about it, sitting members of Congress. Yeah, and, and <laughs> like the the thing that's really frustrating, and I've I, you know Wexton, I, I know she's got health issues that she's going through right now, so like I I do sympathize a little bit with her on that, but she still does hold the office. She's still my representative. I've gone to my constituent services. I've tried to get contact and be like, this is what I want you to talk about. You represent me. You're my voice to the federal government. And I think that I believe that this argument deserves attention. And, you know, I, I can't be heard. And again, hard to blame her 
for what she's going through. And then at the same time, I also know that she might not hear anything that I'm saying because I'm one person in 756,000 and I know she can't do yeah. that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. No, that's a, that's a good idea. I like both those 17th Amendment re reveal. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm very open to that one too. <laughs> well, you got to debate about it and then, then uh, hopefully people talk yeah. about it and then maybe see. Yeah, you definitely have to develop a large consensus. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we asked should, we should probably amend the Constitution more than we do. Uh, um, as much as I, I mean, I love the Constitution, but it's part of the Constitution is being able to amend it. I know, you know, I, um, and right. there are little things that we could be doing to improve. it. I'm a big fan of that idea. I, 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 I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you really want it to be like, if you're, if you're really passionate about the thing and you think that it'll be good for your country, you should work to make it a constitutional amendment and mm -hmm. you should. And, and when you do that, you have to build a large enough consistent consensus of the people to get it yeah. written into constitutional law that you're probably going to have, it's probably going to be pretty successful because if you get, you know, 65% of the population all on the same page. They're oh, yeah. going to raise a generation that's going to be mm -hmm. more than 65% of the population because yeah. they're going to have kids. They're going to have more kids than there are them, and it's going to grow. And, and those kids will share their ideas, and, and I think it just gets better and better. Um, yeah. But we don't, we, we don't do that enough at all. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. is majority passed. It's like we, we yeah. can barely get the votes. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, and the, and the, 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 um, with the Supreme Court, the the matters that these very controversial and dubious decisions that make both parties feel like losing an election is the end of the world because they're going to lose those justices. I mean, that's a problem. Well, and then you are you're you're fighting to get things done in, and that's not the in in the wrong way. You know, if you're fighting to get it through the court, that's not the American constitutional yeah. system. You know, yeah. the, the court is a check. It mm -hmm. is not the balance altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we need a political community that backs the court for doing its job. <laughs> yeah. We need we need to say, hey, I don't like the outcome, but I'm glad they did it that way because they're doing their job. Right. And that's their job. And we need more people thinking like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Gorsuch had a, a ruling. It was within the last year. I remember reading it and I'm going. This guy knows what he's talking about. This I can get yeah. on board with. Um, but a lot of times, you know, and I'm not a lawyer or anything, but mm -hmm. I do, I read probably more uh, cases than I should. And I, I read it and I go, this is not my understanding of the way it should, it should be ruled. And you yeah, know, there yeah. are Supreme Court justices, I'm, I'm, you know, and I, like I said, not a lawyer, so I'm a little hesitant to criticize. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it's like, it just, it doesn't seem the right way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you can well, go I through mean, the history it, of this report. Like, there's been cases where they've obviously made bad decisions. Like, I think we, like you said, we put too much stock in the Supreme Court. Where yeah. if we lose an election, like, oh, that's the end of the world because we're going <laughs> to get Supreme Court justices that don't agree with me on this and that. But like, mm -hmm. really, their job should just be to 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 sort of make small decisions and sort of, um, you know, and maybe rein in Congress. But at this point, they just yeah. they act like Congress. Congress needs to rein them in. So yeah, I actually um, assistant instructor for a constitutional interpretation class, and the um, um, a lot of the cases are, if you read both the you know if you read both the um, 
the majority opinion and the concurrent opinions, and then you also read the dissenting opinions. There are a lot of cases where it's like, wow, they both have pretty strong arguments. It's tough, you know? Um, and, um, and I was, you know, there was a, a case where um, a, a justice that I normally like uh, overturned a bunch of precedent, wanted to overturn a bunch of precedent because he thought the original ruling was wrong. And that's fine if it's obviously wrong and it's still been controversial up to this time, you know, that's fine. But I just felt like the other side, but the other side was pretty plausible too. So why don't you leave it alone at that point? You know, it wasn't causing any major injustice. It just, it just seemed to me like there was, was a, a lack of restraint, you know, that um, you have to, they have to think really hard though. What is my role within the political community here? And, you know, the humility of being like, okay, there's times where there was a bad ruling and it needs to be over, you need to overrule it because it's, it's, um, it was clearly wrong and it's been controversial ever since and the side that lost on it has not gotten over it. Sure. You know, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson, right? Bad ruling, right? Red Scott, bad ruling. Um, we've seen other bad rulings, um, that remained contentious after they were done. And, um, but there are some things that you just need to let lie. <laughs> you know, if it's close. Well, enough. going back to amending the Constitution, you could you could probably argue some of those cases maybe made sense in the constitutional framework. Like they were kind of allowed. Um, mm -hmm. They were bad decisions to shape, but the, you know we fixed those decisions by amending the Constitution. Yeah, no, that's to right. Yeah, solve those problems. Yeah, I meant fix like when they were actually constitutionally wrong, and then yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, no. It's not the judge's role to fix them if they're just wrong because we should have a better law. <laughs> so you yeah. mentioned uh, we should have more constitutional amendments, and we mm -hmm. we kind of talked about that. I when I when I ran, I wanted three constitutional amendments, and now I'm like I've got five, right? But the one thing I noticed when I first started studying history, and part of why I uh, started running, is if you look at the constitutional amendments, if you look at the at the periods of government where Congress is doing its job which is yeah. to legislate and write law to solve like the problems of society. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, things aren't perfect, but things are pretty good. If mm -hmm. you look at the spaces in between, so specifically from 1804 to 1865, we wrote zero constitutional amendments. And mm. what happened? <laughs> Civil War, <laughs> right? And then from 1870 to 1913, we wrote zero constitutional amendments. And what happened during that period of time? We had the Gilded Age, which was a boom, but then we had the like the tail end of the Gilded Age into the Progressive Era that was really difficult on American citizens. There was a big gap of what I call people versus concentrated power. Now, this concentrated yeah. power was not in the states as the Civil War was, but in the corporation. And we had to write constitutional amendments and have a president kind of bully his way through to to kind of balance things out. And then Looking now, technically we wrote a constitutional amendment in 1992, but that wasn't mm. real because it was, you know, it was uh, from 1789, I believe. They just finally. Oh ran. yeah, that one. That's right. But so in, in all, it has been since 1971 since we've written a serious constitutional amendment, mm. and and what that says is the people are not doing their job. Congress mm -hmm. is not doing their job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, something something's gone wrong in the um in our political community that we don't 
we don't look for those areas we can all agree on so we can make those you know changes right because there's something to be said for um uh setting down uh those matters that are of high consensus um so that in ordinary politics protect so that minorities are protected in ordinary politics you know that you don't have to worry because we got this thing protected you know um Whereas if you didn't, then sometimes it's easy to to beat up on the on the minority on the daily politics. But it's so it's good to look for those things that you can get in the constitution that are that are consensus things. You know, um, having um, women's right to vote. Right, it's good to we just like let's just get this thing out of the way. We all agree on this. Let's, let's do this. Right. Yeah. It's the right thing to do. And now women won't have to worry about their state going nuts on this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and there's you know. Getting those things out of the way are good, but I think the most important part and is you know goes back to like government is a relationship between people and power. Yeah. And in any relationship, the thing that makes it function and progress and grow stronger is talking. And when yeah, you're right. and when you're writing constitutional amendments, you're having mm -hmm. serious debates with a large faction of the society. And even if you don't yeah. necessarily pass them. While you're in Congress, maybe it, it maybe it takes five to ten years to get done, right? But having like having those serious debates and having congressmen and women that actually want to do their job and have those is really important yeah. because it just it helps the country. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree, I agree, and um, and sometimes in knowing when to that um, with a federal government of limited to delegated enumerated powers sticking to those limits and that allows a healthier um that allows um for a healthier uh politics at the local level too you know because again people get more involved at the local level now of course you can have local tyranny and that's where the that's where the bill of rights and all that stuff you know incorporated i guess <laughs> so how do you I, i've been reading about this and since you're you know constitutional law maybe you can help me out so how do you feel about um so the 14th amendment bingham wrote it yeah. john bingham and he his kind of principle from what the way i understand it was to extend the privileges and immunities like the bill of yeah. rights into the privileges and immunities that every american citizen is guaranteed and that's at least how some of the people understood it with the, so that's a big debate now between you know, uh, people uh if what the original public meaning was uh because, but certainly, it's not a lot of the people who were pushing it understood it that way. Yeah, yeah. Do you? But that's so, that's clear. The debate is like, what what was the public meaning? Right, but does it does it serve the people mm -hmm. effectively, or does it undermine the state's authority too much? Because well, that's the we've been dealing with the ambiguity of that. Um, especially in the last 120 years, and there's been this tennis game in the courts about how to deal with that ambiguity, because uh, yes, yeah, certain certain rights, protected rights, are reach a high level of consensus, um, and those would be really good ones to have protected at the federal level, right, with, through incorporation or right, like freedom of speech. There's a wide consensus on freedom of speech. People like in the U.S. like freedom of speech, and you know. I, it's one of the reasons I think we're such a great country. It's like 
we have robust freedom of speech and more so than other Western countries as well. Like we just have a ridiculous amount of freedom of speech. And some people complain about it. They're like, well, you know, if, if there were a little bit less freedom of speech here or there, maybe it would be like this much better. Maybe, but I think the benefits of it outweigh the costs, even at, on these marginal cases. Um, but, you know, you saw in a, a lot of these probably judicial usurpations and their interpretation of the 14th Amendment in the last hundred years, right? Uh, some of those usurpations were very popular. <laughs> um, and they've there's been this tennis game going back and forth between if, if you're going to interpret, you know, uh, we all know that the privilege and immunities got kicked out in the slaughterhouse cases. So now we're working with a very dubious reading of the due process clause that we've just accepted because of stare decisis, right? Because it's just so, so established. But you could defend it in terms of the privileges and immunities clause. Um, Similarly, with the uh, Equal Protection Clause, we really would have, if you are going on a textual basis, the stronger point would be to go to the privileges and immunities because equal protection is supposed to really be dealing with the executive branch and how they enforce the law. And um, the Due Process Clause is really supposed to deal with the judiciary and how they're, um, that they, they allow due process. Um, but working with this interpretation of the due process clause that basically moves the privileges and immunities into the interpretation of, uh, in 14th amendment due process clause, it says, um, nobody's, uh, uh, what's the word, the verb they use, uh, not be bridged their life, liberty and property with a due process of law, right? Hold on, I have the, all of these cases dealing with, okay, for the audience don't know, the Bill of Rights originally only applied to the federal government, right? We apply them to the states through the 14th Amendment and normally through an interpretation of the life, liberty, and property, especially liberty in the due process clause, right? And um, when it's from the Bill of Rights explicitly, they call it incorporation, but the more general concept is substantive due process. And you, it, it protects certain fundamental rights that are mentioned in the Bill of Rights and also some unenumerated rights, such as uh, rights of parents to raise their own children. Uh, that's the famous one. Um, but much of the controversy in the last 100 years over this has dealt with not the incorporation, which is pretty uncontroversial, except for the Second Amendment. <laughs> you know, Second Amendment is probably the most controversial of the incorporation, or when there's a loose reading of incorporation, with, you know, those famous passages about. Um, uh, what do you say, emanations and penumbra and all that, right? Those have been controversial. But the more controversial ones are are these unenumerated rights that you can't find in the Bill of Rights, right? And some of them aren't, some of them are. The more controversial cases were obviously Roe v. Wade, Casey, um, the, uh, and then for the incorporation, the, the incorporation of the Second Amendment. And actually, the, the, there's controversy about how to interpret the Second Amendment, even at the federal level, but then there, there's further controversy about the incorporation of the Second Amendment. Um, just in the general times in which uh, privacy was interpreted out of penumbra or as, as a substantial, as an unenumerated right, um, were controversial. Um, so, so there's been this tennis game because you let the genie out of the bottle, right? The tent, there was a, it was very popular to understand the 14th Amendment as protecting individual rights from states, 
not from the federal government, but from the state, right? And of course, of federal government is just protected by the Bill of Rights and some other unenumerated rights. Um, the uh, oh, but many um, once you let that genie out of the bottle, right? The Fourteenth Amendment isn't very clear on how to interpret it, right? And um, normally the courts with incorporation, if you limited incorporation, the justices can look to those Bill of Rights to see what are the rights, the fundamental rights that are expected of a free society that are protected under this, right? Um, but then you wanna go extend beyond it to unenumerated rights. And that's where you get this game of tennis. Most recent big case was Dobbs. And, um, and Dobbs kind of reigns in the interpretation of the 14th Amendment as regards unenumerated rights, right? But it goes back to a principle that has been applied several times throughout this history of, of this tennis match, right? But it goes back to this principle of like, okay, we're not limiting it to incorporation of the Bill of Rights. We're going to include unenumerated rights, but only those unenumerated rights that have always been protected by history and tradition, you know, and um, that are fundamental in a free society. So that that shows up in the Glucksberg case as well, dealing with um, uh, 20 years ago, dealing with uh, euthanasia. Um, now, you see, you see the issue. The issue isn't when it, when they're very popular, it works really nice <laughs> because you know people. Nobody wants. I mean, our, the free speech protection we get today is not the free speech protection we had in 1795. It's not the free speech protection we had in 1910, right? Um, we have robust freedom of uh, protection of freedom of speech. Now, some some pe some people don't are light on stare decisis. I think there's a very strong place for stare decisis. And you have to have your own philosophy of stare decisis when you do do this, you know, um, jurisprudence. Um, if I were a judge, I would see it as an a kind of usurpation to pull the rug on people in their consensus understanding of our rights. Right, so like minimizing freedom of speech below what people have been used to for the last hundred years, I think, would be unjustified. Right. Um, so, um, but um, some some people who are some like people like Justice Clarence Thomas doesn't really think stare decisis should be applied, and you should just go with what the original meaning of the public meaning of the text is. And but uh, Clarence Thomas would protect some freedoms because of the um, privileges and immunities clause, um, but he uh, he wouldn't protect all these like unenumerated rights or, or at least the ones that. Well, it is, and, and again, back to what is Congress's responsibility? Congress's responsibility yeah. is to legislate. And if there are yeah. rights that a generation wants, then a yeah. generation should work mm -hmm. to build a consensus and write it into the, because it, yeah. it if you don't do that, what you have is exactly what's happening. Like you said, a ping pong where yeah. a small group of people interpret what is supposed yeah. to happen as opposed to building a consensus and legislating. And, yeah. you know, back to what is the text? It, I, I wanted mm -hmm. to pull this up. Mm -hmm. So no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, uh -huh. nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, yeah, or yeah. deny to any person within jur its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, yeah. 
this was written very clearly to yeah. uh, extend the rights to mm-hmm. all citizens. Now, yeah. now we talk about the ping pong match and how things shifted, mm-hmm. and I, I'd, yeah. I'd like to get your opinion on this. What about the head? Excuse me, <laughs> coffin. Have to cut that mm-hmm. out, John. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what about the head note in the Santa Clara South Pacific case? Okay, where oh, Santa Clara, Santa Clara. where all of a sudden corporations are now viewed as persons in the law of the in the in the eyes of the court. In this, mm-hmm. you know, over time, you know, it is referenced, and now you have those privileges and immunities that were extended to individual citizens now extended to corporations, groups of yeah. people which already have more power than an individual. So now you're empowering them with more. And, you know, if we look back in the courts, 1809, there were two court cases where specifically where the courts had ruled that corporations were subject of the states. They were created, you know, for the will of the people and therefore not, they are artificial creations. They're not citizens. And they weren't uh, entitled to the same privileges or immunities. Yeah, well... Yeah, that's a really complex one. I re- we've gone over. Um, I don't want to share really any public thoughts on this because it is complex. Um, I will just say that uh, the um, in the case of the Citizen United, um, if you read the opinions in that case, um, look at all of the opinions. Um, uh, there. There are a lot of good points made on both sides. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I'm very sympathetic to what you're saying. Now, for the listeners, um, one clarification that gets screwed up in the media on that, that uh, one matter that gets screwed up on the media is the debate's not whether uh, corporations are fictional, are, are legal persons, they are. The debate is whether legal persons like corporations should receive the same rights, constitutional rights as natural persons. Um, and, um, now part of the argument in there doesn't really rely too much on, on, on that. It, it just, um, the idea is that if you have freedom of speech, you should be able to, um, pool money to express that speech, right. Um, through different means. Um, but the, the dissent in that case made some very good points that in the case of the Citizens United, um, these regulations were not prevent, you know, preventing either the content of the speech or uh, people from pooling their resources to express the speech. Um, they were preventing very specific types of organizations from doing so, but you could take your money and pool it with other people in a different type of organization to express the same speech. So, I mean, it's I don't know. It seems to me that the strong case can be made that the majority in that case really overstepped it. Yeah, that um, that um, that it was narrowly tailored. It was dealing with a something that was arguably a compelling interest for regulation of speech, um, as far as not the content of speech, but the time, place, and manner of speech. Um, and so you could you could still treat uh, organizations as having um, some sort of rights extend as extended from the persons that comprise them. And still making a strong argument that some of the people in the dissent did that um, that they just overstepped it there. That I mean, you can go create a pack if you want, 
right? And the other the other problem in that case was that with these corp if it's a if it's a corporation, right? Uh, uh, not all the sh shareholders agree with one another, and and you you know, so there's an extra reason to say, hey, why don't you guys take your money elsewhere, where everyone is in an organization on the premise that they agree with what what the message is that you guys are going to be pushing. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I mean I there's think a lot that, of things wrong in that in that case. I'm very sympathetic with your your opposition to it. Well, and it's not necessarily like I'm opposed to the ideas. I like you said, mm -hmm. both on both sides, they make valid points. Mm -hmm. I, I I am again. My my issue is I do think that it it's short sighted in its ruling because of the effects yeah. that it causes. Um, yeah. And I also don't think that it's the place like mm -hmm. I, and it. it this is an issue that has come up in the courts for since our founding is how does the court understand the corporation? Like there yeah. is nothing, there's no real guidance in the constitution about that, which mm -hmm. brings me back to my, my, you know, stump, my stump from tonight, which is yeah. what do you think about a citizen and corporate's rights amendment where we define both of those things and we explain which rights or the rights that each of them are guaranteed? Well, that would that would be good. Yeah, if you can get to a general consensus on to draw the lines a little bit more clearly, that would, that would be a good thing. And like when you know when I was going back about those like popular unenumerated rights where that were we got through usurpation. Um, I'm not supporting the usurpation. <laughs> I'm just saying like after the fact, and you, know, you might want to leave. You probably want to leave some of them alone, you know, because they're so. But 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 you can still amend the constitution to codify them then if there's so consensus. Um, why do that? And then it will sort of legitimate them a little bit and create a better political culture for these things, not make us look to the judges to do this stuff for us. Yeah. That's what I want. I want a world where we actually govern ourselves. Yeah. Like we yeah. were supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And I think, you know, studying like the history and then also studying kind of the uh, the pop culture that goes around history, you know, reading the the literature from the times and stuff. What I think is, is it, we just weren't ready fully to be able to govern ourselves. There mm -hmm. weren't enough people in the country that understood these concepts. And what mm -hmm. you ended up with is a lot of people in Congress that were very self-interested um, mm -hmm. and they kind of lost their purpose, which I think you write about mm -hmm. it in the article is like you need each body needs a purpose, you know, yeah. in order to be effective. Mm -hmm. And but I think that we're there now. Like, I think mm -hmm. that there there are so many people in this country that are much more capable than the people we have in office. Yeah. And because of the, the system, it makes it hard for those people to get to office now. But all mm -hmm. it takes is something breaking through to, like, kind of open up because the average citizen is really, really smart. They're yeah. highly yeah. intelligent. They yeah. may not understand political theory, but yeah. they could if politicians mm -hmm. actually talked about it. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, in, in the um, um, yeah, if you compare people today compared to real people in the past and not our idealizations of the past, then yeah, I would say that's probably true, right? <laughs> like two hundred years ago, what world out of the world population, I think ninety percent were illiterate. You know, um, it's where we have now in the we in the developed world, we have like ninety nine percent plus literacy. Um, and um, I think there are things we need to improve. I mean, I think too many of the kids now are being 
handed smartphones and staring at TikTok all day, and that's probably going to might, might might start having a dip in literacy after a while. But um, overall, historically speaking, we're still doing, still doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And I think there is a there there's some connection there between education and uh, political participation, right? Um, there it, it's that's there's not that it wasn't a it wasn't an accident. And I'm a Catholic, and I'm gonna say this: the Protestants did a better job than the Catholics of uh, teaching people how to read <laughs> historically, right? Um, because they wanted them to be able to read the Bible. Um, the Jesuits were the exception with the Catholics. The Jesuits, when there where there were wherever there were a lot of Jesuits, people read really well. Uh, but um, I don't think there's a it's a coincidence that you have this rise in literacy happen just before sort of the rise of sort of modern constitutionalism and, and all these other good effects. So. I I agree, and that's kind of really you know what what I like about what you guys are doing at the Vital Center, right, is it, this emphasis on debate. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if it's literacy, but I think you need to be able to read to read the magazine, right? Like, yeah. cause, and, and, and if you don't, you're going to want to read after reading oh, the magazine. And, and you. that's, you know, in itself a success because, you know, John and I, we, we, we teach classes on government in our community, right? Because we understand the same thing that you're talking about, that education is a big part of self-governing. And yeah. we, we, we've we got it off. I, I would argue that it happened right after the Civil War during the Reconstruction. Education got mm -hmm. off track. Um, our focus shifted of what education should be to what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of harmed us in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but back to the, the Vital Center, what got you inspired to to join this project and to like you know kind of breathe some life into it? Well, I've been concerned with the issue of of polarization and um, people uh, talking to each other, communicating. Gadamer has this term "fusing horizons," um, and uh, several years ago, even like when I was teaching students and when I was in grad school. And, um, but um, as far as the magazine, it was Tyler's idea. Um, he just randomly contacted me through, because he heard about me through somebody else. And he told me that he thought it'd be a good fit for it. And I was like, and he told me what it was. And I was like, okay, well, cause you know, Tyler and I don't, aren't perfectly aligned in our beliefs, which that's probably good because we balance each other. Um, he, uh, um, but we, we're within we what we kind of agree on is we we kind of want to bring together these different center left and center right centrist um, pro constitutional democracy uh, perspectives um, to um, build the center you know build the center um, build a center of people that in the midst of their disagreement they agree that they want. A healthier political community in which we handle our disagreements in a healthier way and that we um and um something more sustainable right because it feels sometimes it feels unsustainable you get out nowadays right and i like the united states and i want it to last for another 200 years at least plus right you know i, I want when i die i want it to be there for my kids and i hope it's there for their kids and um 
I'm very much opposed to all this talk on some circles about national divorce, whatever. And I, I, I think we can make it work, but we have to try. And, um, and I think building the center um, is, is, is can contribute to that. Right. And I think we, I need, I think people, more people need to be involved in primaries. I consider myself an independent, um, but I'm going to make myself pick a primary and vote in it. And I'm going to go to the primary and I'm going to vote for what I think is the best candidate for that out of the, the options or the one, the best candidate has a chance, has a chance. Right. Um, and I think more people who are not partisan or independents or right, need to do that too. Cause we, I, I still think that the median voter in the United States is pretty sane, right? So if we can empower that median voter and to empower that median voter without any, you know, am amendments or things that you were talking about, we at least have to start showing up at the primaries and and um, and having our say there, so that so that the base doesn't, so we don't get to every election and it's the two two awful choices. <laughs> Like I, we've talked about that on the last two weeks of the show specifically. And what I've been saying is if you don't vote in a primary election, you should not mm -hmm. vote in a general election because mm -hmm. it's not, it's not your vote and it's not your voice mm -hmm. at that point. Cause you had no say mm -hmm. in it. You just voted yeah. who the party told you to vote for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, you know, they have these open a primary, closed primary states, all this, whatever, but I'm just going to register in a party and I'm going to vote in the primary. Yeah, so even though I consider myself an independent. Do you feel like it, it abridges your uh, privileges and immunities to be kept out of the ballot box in a primary? I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, would, support, I, I would support open primaries in my state. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just funny because I, I think we, we talked about, John, did we talk about that with Tyler too? He mentioned that, that uh, uh, closed primaries are uh, a go against the idea of a, of a Republican form of government. Mm. I just have to think about it more. That uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think it could be next. Next, it could be next issue of the quarterly. You can, yeah, mm -hmm. I have an article on that. Yeah. You have a debate about it. You, Tyler could write one side, and you could write the other, and then. Uh... Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to have a, that strong opinion. So it'll be an interesting article. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas. Uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. I really oh, appreciate you. you taking the time and uh, spending with us. Um, you know, I, I, John and I, we're always looking for people that want to have debate and uh, want to kind of, like you guys are doing, build the center out. I think, John, I mean, we're kind of, that's why we felt left out because we were kind of more in the center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. I, 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 I can get that now. Yeah, that you guys were, <laughs> were too centrist for the hardliners in the party. Yeah. And, you know, there's some things to be it said about being hardliner, but. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'm sure you guys are actually want to get along with people that are outside the party. <laughs> well, what I tell people yeah. is, like, I am never going to hate the Democrats mm -hmm. because people that I love are Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to hate them just because mm -hmm. you tell me that I, I'm supposed to hate them. Yeah, I can live with people I disagree with. It doesn't yeah, mean absolutely. I'm not going to voice my opinion. It's not going to. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm going to not debate them. I'm. I'm yeah. not going to cower away, and I'm yeah. not afraid of that either. And I think that's kind of you know. I think more than anything on the right from the ground level, what I see is people are afraid, and they shouldn't be. Um, and you know, but yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, I mean, just the 
I mean, we shouldn't have to worry that somebody from the other party is going to be elected, like it's going to be this, you know, and a lot of the times the worry turns out to, most of, almost all the time, it turns out to be unfounded. Um, but politicians could make it a little bit easier on people on the other party that, you know, I'm not going to overturn this country. It's not going to be a radical shift in your daily life, you know. <laughs> um, and I, I will be, I am concerned with you guys too. I'm not just running for my party. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, we really appreciate you being here. Keep up the great work at the, the vital center. Um, if people, uh, if you're listening, go check out the, it's the vitalcenter.com. Um, you can find them on Twitter. Uh, you can find Thomas on Twitter at Thomas D house. Um, he's a good follow. You know, you, I like, I like your tweets. Some of, some of them, you know, yeah, some but, of them. <laughs> I mean, everybody only likes some of things, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, you know, they're they're thought provoking, always, and that okay. is, and that's good. Uh, I th I think we just need more thought. Um, and I appreciate anybody working and putting in that time, especially you know a father with two kids, you know, taking the time to make sure that our country has civil debate for their kids, so that it's there when when they're gone. I just that is the American way, and I I appreciate anybody working on that. And I apologize, um, in advance. I think I'm most pugnacious um, with my own tribe. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, people, my fellow Catholics, uh, if I feel like they're being misbehaving, sometimes I <laughs> get a little bit pugnacious with them, but I try not to be like that. It's, it's harder with your own tribe, right? You expect more of them. Right? So. Yes, we. I think we all- Same, same for your family. You expect more for your children and you expect more for your, your siblings. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. Um, but so, your wife uh, is always perfect. John's trying to get some extra points today. <laughs> Thomas, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you so much. It, it was my pleasure. Uh, good luck with everything. And um, uh, look forward to the next issue of Vital Center. It's going to be in February, February 1st. Awesome. So, all right. Thank you. No problem. All right. It's been a wonderful episode. John. What were your thoughts, man? How'd you like that interview? Jeff, towards the end of it, all I could think of is, you know, I'm, we've given the corporations the First Amendment. I, oh, let's not give them the Second Amendment. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. I think that might be in the works someday. <laughs> corporations need their like, own I'm police having, force like, and military. That's like every dystopian novel, right? Like the corporations, security forces and stuff. Like it. I mean, like, you know, there's already security forces and things like let's, let's not make it any worse than it already is. I mean, isn't that kind of my argument about limiting the power of the corporation is because a corporation is kind of just a state of its own. It, it doesn't have mm -hmm. borders, but it can affect our sovereignness. Sovereignness. Is that a word? Uh, <laughs> our sovereignty. Well, it doesn't have borders, <laughs> but it has it has a, uh, you know, it has a, a personhood in a certain sense and that it can make decisions it can affect things and uh, i think as you were talking about a, an amendment that sort of limited uh rights to people real people versus uh legal fictions if you will i think like that's that's something that would would definitely benefit everyone i, I appreciate that so i can't wait to read that article in the, the vital center oh yeah now i have to go write it um which let's face it i was going to write it anyways whether anybody read it or not <laughs>
I'm just glad to have opportunity <laughs> and, uh, and, and awesome to be part of the vital center as, as such a fan as, as I am. So, um, again, uh, listeners out there, we love you. We appreciate you taking the time to, uh, out of your day to listen to us ramble on about constitutional law and all things that we really, we're just guessing, right? We're just guessing, John. <laughs> and, uh, again, thank we you. All have our That's right. Uh, thank you again to Thomas. Thank you again to Thomas. And as always, peace and love. <laughs>